Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. The uh, title I've chosen today, we're in uh, Ephesians 4, is Recapitulation. In Ephesians, we have several cosmic pictures. Christ is pictured in both chapter 1 and here in chapter 4 as summing up all things. He is the mystery revealed. He is the unifying head of a new body. But one way of speaking of the work of Christ, and by the work of Christ I mean the saving work, and it is this word recapitulation or redoing, summing up or a re-summing up, to give a comprehensive sum of all things in Christ. It's there in chapter 1 verse 10 that Christ is the summing up of all things, things in heaven and things on earth. And this then provides the content of the mystery. You know, what is the mystery that was formerly unknown and now revealed? It is this summing up that we have. And so Christ has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. It is an arrangement suitable for the fullness of times to sum up all things, both things in heaven and earth. And so the other way that Ephesians says this is that since Christ has been given to the church as head over all things, I'm going to connect these two ideas. That is, here's the recapitulation, here's the summing up, but the summing up is in and through the church. And this is set in motion then, you know, it's through the church that sovereignty is established, that Christ is filling all in all. So let's read together, look at chapter 4 of Ephesians, starting with verse 1, and let's read there. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were also called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. How do we achieve maturity? How do we achieve fullness? 
here it is. You know, how does the human race achieve fullness? How does the universe achieve fullness? It's in Christ. The presence of the cosmic Christ in the church, this is accomplished. It expands that he's establishing his reign through the church. And Paul has pictured this in chapter 3. Both Jew and Gentile, all people that is, are embraced by this unity that he's here describing. There's one human race. There's one God. And so a way of saying this, instead of identity, you know, through difference, the Jew against the Gentile, the free against the slave. Last week we talked about black against white. There is a new mode of identity. There is one body, one spirit, one hope. And to start again, to recapitulate is the language here. To redo in the early church, and I think Paul is reflecting this same idea, that there is the imagery of Adam, the immature man. Here is the incomplete man. Here is the unwise man. And in Christ, wisdom is revealed. Maturity is done. Here is the complete man. And of course, the word man just means Adam. Here is the second Adam, as Paul talks about. A redoing, a reordering of creation, beginning where Adam went wrong. And this is the way the early church talked about this especially Irenaeus, one of the earliest theologians. But Irenaeus is just talking about Ephesians. So if you think, you know, prior to the tree, you know, what was prior to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? We have the fall of man, they partake of the tree, and then Cain kills Abel. Cain goes out and establishes the first city. Well, actually, there's another tree, and it's the tree of life. And we might depict this, there's two symbolic systems. There's two, what we might call in linguistics, a semiotics. There's the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and there's the tree of life. And the first tree, then, the tree of life, contains the idea of God's presence. And that's what's lost by the choice of the second tree. And it's under the sign of this tree that the ordering and naming activity, now this is Adam names the animals, that he's pictured almost like a co-creator. He's participating in a differentiating activity. It's not an identity through difference, through a violent difference. There's not man over and against woman. When Eve is brought, he says, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. They're a part of a unity. We can project forward, you know, when we talk about recapitulation, a redoing. In the book of Revelation, the tree of life is restored. Love and the presence of God, the creative logos, they're restored. I think this is a symbolic picture of what's happening through the church. We might call this the semiotics of the logos, of life that it's going to bring an end to meaning. There's two orders of meaning here. There's the meaning built upon difference. Jew, Gentile, light, dark, black, white. The sign of the tree of life restored in the future kingdom brings about the healing of the nations, it says in Revelation. The curse of death is undone. There shall be no more tears. Violence is undone. There is peace. 
in Paul's depiction of this unified humanity, you know, Jew-Gentile is the archetype of that, there is a new mode of doing identity in the church. No longer do we have oppositional differences. But in the church, there is a unity that contains these differences. It's not that we all become unisex or that we all become one singular thing. There is an embrace and rejoicing in a difference, not an identity through difference. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I think, is a, a kind of sign system in that it becomes deadly, that it becomes the origin of meaning that displaces the meaning of God. And here in the biblical picture, there's the system of death in which, you know, literally the first city arises. Cain establishes a city. There's a founding murder. And every culture of death is then built upon this power of death. And the understanding that culture is built upon this is reversed. You know, Christ is founding a new city. That's what Paul is picturing, a new family a new order, a new system of meaning. Life, he says in verse 17 of chapter 3, has overcome death. He's filled the heights and depth. He's ascended into the heavens, as it says here, and he's quoting the psalm, and descended into the depths. There is the doctrine of the harrowing of hell. That is the emptying out of Hades. And that's what's being pictured there is an order of meaning founded upon death that order of meaning is undone and Paul sees his ministry then as bringing to light this new meaning this mystery which for ages was kept hidden he says the manifold wisdom of God is now made known to the rulers and authorities because these rulers and authorities operate according to the meaning of death not the meaning of life this order confounds the rulers of this age. They cannot comprehend it. It's through their own wisdom, their own meaning, that they crucified the Lord of glory. You know, think of all the people that crucified Christ. The scribes were assured that the law required the death of Christ. The priests crucified him to honor the temple. The Pharisees crucified him in the name of their religion, in the name of piety. Pilate crucifies him in the name of Roman justice. They fail to do justice. They fail to recognize truth. None of the rulers of this age recognized the Christ. And when they let themselves become the center of meaning, clearly they're undercutting the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians said, For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So with the crucifixion, this false order of meaning is unmasked through their encounter with the truth. This is what truth means. It exposes the falsehood. It makes a public spectacle. That's the picture here in Ephesians. That he takes captive these principalities and powers. They're taken captive by the truth of who Christ is. Because their truth depended upon the power of death and he has defeated this power. Resurrection is inclusive of a new order of meaning, no longer bound by the identity through difference that is inherently violent and death-dealing. The lie or false wisdom, 
which killed him, is exposed by his death and resurrection. This is why for Paul, grace works in and through the truth as it is defeating the obstacle of meaning, you know, founded upon a lie. Colossians 1.6 says as much. Paul refers to this lie as empty deceit, which may be articulated, you know, he decides it may be through philosophy in Colossians 2.8, through human traditions, through human meaning systems, through the principalities, the principles, the powers, political, the passing judgment in regards to new moons and Sabbaths. He's describing traditions. He's describing religious systems. In regard to food and drink, through elemental principles, just the, through ordering life, through a perishable order of meaning, Paul says in Colossians. The principle of wisdom of this world are the means by which rulers, the authorities, and the powers of this dark world exercise their power. There is a power for darkness in the twofold sense that it obscures, it displaces the truth through a lie, and it deals in the darkness of death. Death is its power. And Christ has blotted out this hostile system of meaning. The handwriting of ordinances is the way that Paul puts it which stood against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken all of this out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a publicly dis display of them. I'm using Colossians because Colossians is very parallel to what Paul's describing here in this passage in Ephesians. So the logic and wisdom of this world are challenged by the manifold wisdom of God made known to the rulers and authorities, Ephesians 3.10. And the witness of the church to this alternative order of meaning continues to unmask the kind of divine or the quasi-divine authority of those structures, those world powers, those realms of ethical, religious rules, those orders of thought that always are marked by their dealing in oppression. If it's oppressive, if it deals in death, it's of the darkness and the devil. No mystery. Christ has unmasked those powers in the church. Maybe we say, should say where it is truly the church ensures through its alternative order of meaning that the exposure, that's why we're here. That's what the church is about, to expose the lie, the deception, the death-dealing, violent nature of this world. The church receives its head. You know, it receives it summed up. Now, the interesting verse, you know, he ascended, he descended. It's actually a quotation from Psalm 68 which is a call to God to come to the rescue of his people. Paul is echoing the psalm that here is the vindication from days of old. He went in triumph before his people, you know, after the exodus. This is the psalm that Moses goes up Mount Sinai and the people trembled, the earth trembled and kings were scattered and he came to Mount Zion and abode there. He came to Sinai, his holy place. He ascended the mount and leading captives in his train. 
But of course, Paul is picturing, he's taking this psalm and he's saying, well, now that reality has come true. The transfer of the ark of Zion is the triumph of Christ. And Paul saw in the exaltation of Jesus a fulfillment of the description of what's happening with Moses and Mount Sinai. Christ ascended as conqueror to the Father's right hand, leading in his train captives, the principalities and powers. He's defeated them. Now the other imagery here is that, you know, in liturgical custom, Psalm 68 is associated with the Feast of Pentecost, right? And the Jewish feast commemorating the giving of the law, you know, Paul uses it, he came and he gave gifts. What kind of gifts did he give? As Moses received the law and gave it to Israel, Christ received the Spirit and gave him to his people in order that the Spirit might write God's laws on their hearts to teach them the truth. Maybe a simple way of saying this, what is the gift of the Holy Spirit? Well, the gift of life, right? He's given us the gift of life, but the gifts of the Spirit write the law in the heart, and we have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience. He's poured out His Spirit. And then after he quotes the psalm, Paul adds in parentheses that Christ having ascended means He's descended, I think in the context is the idea of 1 Peter 3.19. He went and preached to the spirits in prison. He's freed them. He's freed the prisoners imprisoned by the chains of death. This was far above all rule and authority and dominion and every name that is named and far above all heavens so that he might fill the universe. Now, I don't know if you noticed what I just did. There's no discussion in Ephesians. I'm not saying it's absent, but there's really no discussion of the cross of Christ. I think it's included, but what is pictured is salvation through this idea of the summing up of Christ. As a man caused the fall, so a man causes in Christ the restoration. He sums up, he recapitulates the human species. He takes on then all that man did wrong and he corrects it. He compensates for it. He passed through every stage of human growth, hallowing each and redeeming each, being made for them an example of piety, righteousness, and submission. And so the disobedience of the first Adam was undone through the complete obedience of the second Adam so that many should be justified and attain salvation. And so the atonement was not simply an exchange that occurred at the cross, but was throughout Christ's life, his birth, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his condescension to take on human flesh in order to redeem. Thank you for listening to this episode of Forging Plowshares. You can learn more and join our growing community by visiting forgingplowshares.org. Please consider supporting at patreon.com slash paulaxton or by donating at forgingplowshares.org slash donate.